for us, the work-life harmony is definitely created in partnership because we work together. Mm-hmm. That we sit down every Monday, right before this, we are having our meeting. <laughs> we sit down every Monday. We talk through work items that we need to talk about. We look at the calendar. We plan, you know, when is he going to have his day out to go shoot or go, you know, up a mountain, whatever he wants to do. When yeah. am I going to have my time? And when are we going to have our time together? Welcome to the Alpha Female Podcast. I'm Robin Pino, formerly known as Baldwin, an essential oil educator, blogger, author, yoga teacher, MS thriver, and newly twin mama. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a show that will inspire you to embrace living like an alpha female. We'll guide you to create more work-life harmony for yourself, discover tips and tricks to achieve your goals and dreams, all while taking the best care of yourself. Now on with the show. This show is brought to you by doTERRA Essential Oils. As an essential oil educator, I partnered with doTERRA in 2016 to diversify my income with them. I was drawn to the oils a few years before when I was diagnosed with MS and gifted an introductory kit with lemon, peppermint, and lavender essential oil. At the time, as I was learning to live with MS, I knew I needed to get better quality and quantity of sleep. So I started using lavender in my Epsom salt baths every night to signal to my body that it was time to go to sleep and the rest is history. I educated myself on the potency, purity, testing, and sourcing practices and discovered the company's heart of gold. So I'd like to do the same for you. I send out samples to anyone who has not yet tried doTERRA oils and you don't yet have a shopping account with them. So find me on Instagram. My new Instagram handle is at Robin Pino, and that's P-I-N-E-A-U-L-T. Send me a DM saying I'd love to try some oils and then let me know one health pain point you're trying to solve. Send me your shipping address from there and then I'll pop a care package in the mail for you. You are listening to the Alpha Female Podcast, episode 193. All links and show notes can be found over at robinbaldwin.com forward slash podcast. Today on the show, we're talking to Megan J. Ward. Megan is an outdoor travel and adventure writer based in Banff, Canada, and a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. Megan has written several books, as well as produced content for film, anthologies, blogs, and some of North America's top outdoor fitness and adventure publications. She has a forthcoming travel memoir, Fall of 2022, to be published by Rocky Mountain Books. Megan is also the wife and partner in business and creativity with Paul Zizka, a mountain landscape and adventure photographer. They love to explore the wild and the world together and take their two young daughters along for the ride. So Megan and I know each other from way back. We grew up in the same church together. Her dad was our pastor and her mom was my music teacher, which we talk a little bit about in the show. Um, and I was friends with her two older sisters as well. So I know Megan from way back. And when she moved out to Banff, um, started following her adventures and, uh, it's just been amazing to watch her evolve. And, uh, we went to visit because Mike and I have spent two years out in Banff. We usually go in September. We got engaged out there. Um, she's made recommendations for what summits for us to do. So she's absolutely a joy to follow on social media. And we have some really great conversations in this um, podcast, uh, just talking about kind of her, her transitions from, um, working as an entrepreneur to becoming a mom and then what it's like, um, as a mom of two and an entrepreneur, you know, doing her own things, but also working with her husband in business. Like it's just a great perspective to have. And, uh, there's two things that we didn't get to talk about in the episode. Um, and that is, there's a podcast episode that she's recommending. So it's in the show notes. And I alluded to it in the last um, episode that I recorded, the solo episode. Um, but it's called Emotional Labor, the Invisible Work Most Women Do. So if you're curious to hear that, then look for that in the show notes. And also, she's reading another book. She mentioned the burnout book. But she also mentions, after we start stopped recording... The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. And she absolutely loves that book. So if you're looking for some book recommendations, um, then you put those on your list. I will stop rambling. Let's get into the show and chat with Megan. Welcome, Megan, to the show. 
Hi, Robin. Hi, darling. I am so excited to have you on the show. You're actually my first like childhood friend that oh. I am getting on on the podcast. And when I decided to do this topic series of like working woman transitioning to a mom, transitioning to a working mom, um, you've been so vocal on your social media about doing all the things. So I knew I had to get you on the show. It's so nice to be here. So nice. Um, okay, let's get right into it. So I always ask my guests, what do you think of the definition of an alpha female as it stands today? And then how are you one? It's a great question because I've been following you for your whole career. Yeah. And when I first saw the word alpha female, it, it gave me this like the bristles on my neck went up because I thought of these steamroller women who just are so assertive to the point where you know, people are afraid of them. And so I know that's not who you are. And, um, but you're somebody who's very, very confident. And so I think that the way that you've defined it is, is very accurate. And I also would like to add, you know, I think an alpha female is just a woman who really stands in her light, but isn't apologetic for it. Mm-hmm. And this is the piece that we really need to work on as women. So I think that I think you're onto something really good. Mm-hmm. And you've got that, you know, brightest star in your constellation. I think it's such a beautiful way of putting it. Um, and in terms of whether or not I'm an alpha female, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess by definition I am, but I honestly never really thought of myself that way. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm a bit of a slow learner. In okay. terms of, in terms of having been able to truly step into my light, and um, maybe perhaps there's a perception that I already had, and I actually feel like there's big parts of me that I've been keeping in the shadows, mm. and so I think it's like an ongoing process mm. as women, as alpha females, where we're gradually and you know it's just like a continuum of effort to mm. keep relearning about ourselves and stepping into that light in new ways as we evolve because we're always changing mm-hmm. so i think it's not just a way of being it's a way of just kind of living on an ongoing basis if that makes sense yeah for sure and it's so funny whenever i decide to go down like the hashtag alpha female because I, I very rarely go and see what other people are posting under the the moniker and you know it is like that uh power business woman in a suit eating men for breakfast kind of thing like that's how it's been known for so long and my coworker who had given me the you know the definition or just defined me as an alpha female way back when it was just because I was ambitious but also taking care of myself at the same time and I hadn't really seen that anywhere I had seen you know, I think uh, both iterations, you know, she's uh, confident, she's unapologetic, she's assertive, um, but I've always wanted to make sure that she's assertive to a point where she still values and cares for all the people around her, but she doesn't walk all over people. And so I think that's where um, my modern, my modernization of the term is, is hopefully making an impact. And um, something you said really uh, just stood out to me was that like, you've only started really seeing this side of yourself and that it's it's growing and it's developing. Would you say that as you became a mother, you developed a new sort of confidence? I think becoming a mother shook my confidence. Okay. And I felt like so many mothers that I, you know, had lost my identity or I was trying to keep up with this identity mm-hmm. of all the things I did before I was a mom. And, you know, it's almost like I didn't want people to think I couldn't do it all. And so it's only been very recently that Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see a different way of looking at life. And I I don't know if there's anything I could have done before now to get there. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of women experience it as they get older. They They just stop caring what people think. (laughs) <laughs> as they get older so and that's been a big part of it is yeah. me stepping into my light and then not shrinking anymore has been as yeah. a result of realizing it really doesn't matter what people think 
I have like goosebumps and like tears in my eyes, as you said, that like becoming a mom shook your confidence. This is the exact same. Like my, um, I do core desired feelings every year. And my core desired feeling last year was radiant and confidence because I, I feel like I lost it. I, I feel like I lost who I was, like the, the woman who was working, the woman who was doing this podcast, all of it. I was like, where did she go? Like she just, disappeared for a year and um my kids aren't even a year old they're just turned 10 months but I'm just like I'm just starting to find her again um and I was clinging to her like so tightly I'm like why do you have to go away like I don't understand and I wasn't I wasn't prepared for it at all so um other than losing your confidence what was it like transitioning from working as an entrepreneur to being a full-time mom for um I guess I guess share with us first like how many kids do you have how old are they now so what yeah so that we can give a little perspective and I and I'll guess I guess you'll have you know given everybody my bio as well Mm -hmm. but I can speak a little bit to you know the various hats that I wear um and so I've got a an eight-year-old I've got two girls one is eight and one is three and that's part of the story, too, is that we <laughs> waited five years intentionally between children because mm. we just couldn't handle what was happening. So <laughs> feel free to ask me about that later. Um, but I am a, I'm a freelance writer and an author. I also run a photography business with my husband, Paul Ziska. And that's actually the bulk of my work right now mm. is, is working with that company. And then I also am a marketing lead for a photo workshop company called Offbeat that runs workshops all over the world. And we also run an online community for photographers. So kind of three main businesses I'm part of right now. And so each one and each child has been an evolution. And, you know, I've had to learn how to just go with the ebbs and flows and how to tackle each thing as it comes because the conditions keep changing the factors keep changing mm. so yeah that's that's the various areas where i where i spend my energy right now okay so let's go back to having your first daughter what was it like you know working as an entrepreneur and knowing that you were going to have to take uh i don't know if you did an indeterminate amount of time or you determined how long you were going to take for a so-called quote-unquote mat leave um, but yeah, what was it like making that decision? Right. You know, it almost feels like there wasn't really a decision that was made. Um, by the time we'd had our first daughter, Maya, we were at a point where financially we were already able to mostly live off of Paul's income. And the work that I was doing was was bonus. You know, and, you know, now we're in a bit of a different situation, but, um, and so before I even had my, uh, like in my pregnancy, I just discovered I didn't have the energy or mental capacity to, to work very much. Like I was really tired. And when you're a writer, (laughs) there's like very little you can do on Mm -hmm. the work front. And (laughs) there are other tasks that I do in my work now, you know, whether it's web design or things like that that I can kind of sink into when I'm in a little bit more of a mental fog or tiredness. But I was so exhausted that it's almost like I had already started the transition well before the baby arrived Mm. in terms of my workload. And it just happened to be that, um, you know, we'd built up Paul's business to a point where it could carry us through for a while. Mm. That's good. And and I was able to take what's called a self-employed maternity leave. So I was able to keep making money while I was, even though I had the baby. And so just financially speaking, that was our situation. But, you know, part of me just didn't even really care that I wasn't doing what I do. It's Mm -hmm. like my entire mind and body had shifted on its own. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of the maternal instinct of, Mm -hmm. you know, you start recalibrating to prepare for this person to arrive and that's what I felt it was very natural the Mm -hmm. the move out of it was more the move into my work again and into my lifestyle 
that was the harder transition, not the work, not the move out of. Mm, okay. And then, so did you take a full year off with Maya? Pretty much. Um, yeah. So on a self-employed mat leave here in Canada, I was part of a pilot program that I believe is still going where you can okay. still work. And so you uh, apply for the program a year before you want to take a claim. And I managed to get that done in time before yeah. Maya arrived. And so then I took a 12-week maternal leave and then a 35-week parental leave. And I was able to make a portion of my previous year's income. Mm. And then whenever I wanted to take on work or a freelance job, I could. I just had to report it. Mm. And it went against my EI. So that was pretty cool that I was able to keep a couple irons in the fire, even on a mat leave, and was able to keep up with some writing projects, um, even even when I was on a maternity leave. That's great. So. I'm going to make an assumption and you can correct me if I'm uh, not going down the right path, but you were very, very active. You live in the Rocky Mountains in Alberta. You Are you technically, would you consider yourself a mountaineer? Um, I was. I was. Yeah. So having to put all of that on hold and then as you, you know, as you're, as Maya started getting older um, and getting back into the things that you love, is that where you were like, I'm not, I'm not where I was before I'm struggling. Like talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. I think you're onto something because I'm an outdoor travel and adventure writer, which means I write about those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And so the lifestyle and the work for me are, they go hand in hand that me returning to work is about me returning to my lifestyle because that becomes the fodder for my work and the uh-huh. fodder for the articles I'm working on. Uh-huh. And so for the first year, I didn't really feel compelled to do all that much. I had already, before I had Maya, decided that, you know, some high-risk stuff wasn't for me anymore. <laughs> I had an experience on a mountaintop one time that I was like, what am I doing here? I don't want to be here anymore. This I don't want to was this before, before I had mine? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't want to be scared anymore mm. to that degree. And so I had already decided that, but a big part of it is in the Rockies here, uh, we live in a community of high achievers. Mm. And there are women who have babies, and a month later, they're already trail running again, or they're training for a marathon, or they're mountain biking, or they're. And when I had Maya, I had a lot of pelvic floor issues. Mm some other damage down in that region that took a very long time to heal. It took mm. actually almost two years mm. to the point where the doctor said, you know what, you could get this repaired, but if you're going to have another baby, you might as well not because that might repair it on its own or you just might end up <laughs> having to like start again later. And we didn't yet know what we wanted to do. And yeah. so I got my body as far as I could and then, um, just kind of left it where it was <laughs> from that standpoint. But it had a big impact on my ability to get back into mountain sports. And mm. I felt that that's when my identity was suffering because I was trying to keep up with this community where, you know, it's somehow expected that you have a baby and then you're right back at it. Mm. And, um, you know, and so it's not just about my own desires it's about you know I was stuck in this mentality of trying to keep up with what I saw people doing Mm, that's so tough I'm kind of glad that I'm no longer in the obstacle course racing world because I think if I was still in that world I would be having all of the like oh gosh I've got to get right back on to you know strength and endurance training which is two very difficult things to achieve at the same time especially after a uh a pregnancy, let alone a, tw- a twin pregnancy. And so I, I feel you, I'm dealing with a pelvic floor prolapse. And uh, I've had a couple of friends now that I'm back in Ottawa, they're like, do you want to come and do a workout? I'm like, uh, body weight workout? <laughs> I, can't, I can't, can't lift anything. Like, I'm not yeah. cleared yet. Uh, I have a friend that's moving from Toronto to Ottawa and she's so excited. She's like, we can go for bike rides and trail runs. I'm like, I haven't even started jogging yet. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna need to slow your roll on this. So uh, I can't even imagine being part of a high achieving community right now. So uh, mm-hmm. I, can't, 
I can sense that frustration. Yeah, I was just so wrapped up in it. And, Mm. you know, it was everything was so new. It's so new. And women don't talk about the postpartum. Mm -hmm. Other than talking a little bit about postpartum depression, people don't talk a lot about how long it can take to heal. And what you're told when you go to prenatal classes is, it's amazing how quickly the body can heal. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what I was told. And so you're, and, but you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's abnormal. Yeah. And I just was dealing with a lot of pain. And so it, you know, we did start doing some hiking with Maya when she was very little and we started, um, you know, just going for some light hikes and then some bigger ones. And, you know, we still had this very uh, innate desire to expose her to this world that we loved so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took her into the back country when she was six months old. Mm-hmm. We hiked her back to uh, Skokie Lodge, which is not really roughing it. It's, it's like a full-on <laughs> beautiful lodge with gourmet meals and duvet blankets and stuff. But just the act of hiking with her into that place, um, it's only about 11 kilometers from the road. But, you know, it was that, that felt like an accomplishment for me. And so... The the whole transition back into that lifestyle was, you know, first it was the, the challenge with the physical. And then as time went on and I, I started to get back into a bit more what's called scrambling, which is like hiking without a rope. You don't need a mm-hmm. rope because it's not exposed enough, but it's still, you know, sometimes you use your hands a little bit. I started to get into that because I, that, that I felt safe with. that That was something that I didn't find to be too mentally taxing but the first time I scrambled I cried (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that you don't think it's mentally taxing I was like like you're you're okay babe I'm like I'm falling backwards every step I take (laughs) (laughs) I have been on many mountains with people who go through that experience and I've been now doing I had now been doing this for over a decade so for me it used to be more yeah. of a mental struggle, but it was no longer. So let's just make that clear. Um, but what I was going to say was it, it, it was just this gradual evolution and progression. And at the same time, what I discovered was as I started to get back into more mountain sports, that's when I started to deal with the guilt of being away. Mm. Um, Cause what I love to do is just get out there, get out into the backcountry, get up a mountain. These are, this is like a full day event or multi-day event. This is not just mommy's going for a run and then she'll be home. And so for me, it was about tearing myself away physically from my child for long Mm -hmm. enough for me to actually do these things. And once I got into them, you know, and my body became more physically strong, I developed that confidence again, that I, what we call, we have our mountain legs, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. build up your, your muscles again, stamina to do the types of activities we do here. Um, but, um, yeah, nothing really happened very quickly, though. Like This was like a multi-year transition. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women come out of a pregnancy and having a baby. And some women are definitely able to just kind of like spring back into certain things. Even then, I think it's an illusion. There's something missing or something they're not being honest about because um, there's just, you know, I think there are anomalies in that case. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to normalize the fact that it takes time Mm -hmm. and it's okay if your life does not look the same, because why would it? Mm -hmm. You've already, you've evolved. It's not going to go back to what it was. Did you, um, did you take Maya? I feel like I read a blog post about it. Did you take her backcountry camping when she was less than a year old? Front country. Front country. It's just it was like by. car camping. It was car camping, right? Like you could yeah. easily pack up and leave. Months. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We could easily pack up and leave. Yeah. I think we actually left diapers at home, so we even like scooted home to get them and bring them back. <laughs> yeah, our first camping trip with her was when she was about. Oh no, I can't remember. Yeah, but if, well, maybe well, she was young. She's eight. Like that's a, that's a long time. She was she was a lot younger, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're, um, so my, my husband and I are so passionate about, um, our canoe trips in Algonquin Park. And we went, the year we got married, we brought a friend and, um, they had a new baby and we brought 
I think he was four months for the first trip. So it was perfect because he didn't move. He just lay in the back net. And then we went again when he was six or seven months. And that was a little bit more of a struggle because he was starting to like army crawl. And we were like, oh, crap, like someone's got to be watching him at all times. Um, and we were talking about potentially getting out this summer. And we're like, can we even bring the babes? Like, can we even carry one on each of our chests with the pack, with the canoe? Um, and we always bring Rogue, our dog, with us. So we're like, no, that's insane if we try to do this. Like, we're going to have to find a babysitter. <laughs> so, because um, the other thing we were talking about, Mike's like, how do we nap them? And and how do we keep them in the canoe? We're like, yeah, we're just gonna have to wait till they get a little bit older. I'm like, how about we just try like car camping because <laughs> that that's a little bit more doable. Um, so yeah, it's hard because we want to like snap our fingers and go back to things that we love, but we just have to evolve. Um, so uh, thank you for having that dialogue around normalizing that because I think so many people really need to hear it. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, fast forward a couple of years, you decide to have a second child and your businesses have evolved as well. So now let's take us to present day. Um, how do you create work-life harmony for yourself and being, you know, you and I have chatted that you're the primary caregiver. So how do you create that harmony between the two? Well, things have changed a lot too in terms of being the primary caregiver because, um, Paul and I came to the decision that we would put our youngest in daycare. Mm. And so that was a hard decision um, because with Maya, I really appreciated that I had this, I had part-time care for her, part-time day home, but I really enjoyed being her, her primary caregiver. And, and I really felt like as her mother, I wanted to be there. And um, Paul does a lot of traveling for work. And so uh, it was still essential that I have some care for her. Um, but, um, we had an experience back at Christmas of 2019 where Leah was just over, um, let me think. She was about a year and a half old and we had just spent three weeks touring Ireland and Malta and we came home and we only had part-time care and we were jet lagged. And we were back into running the businesses (laughs) and it was so intense. And even before we went on our Europe trip, things were too hectic. It was like we were barely managing. So one morning after we, we got back from Malta and Ireland, I woke up and my face had swelled and broken out in blisters. And, um, I previously dealt with skin issues, but nothing like this. And I remember Paul and I were just sitting on our living room floor and Leah's just hanging out with us. And uh, it was one of the days that she didn't go to the day home. And it was just one of those, you know, put it all out on the table conversations. Like this is not working. Um. This whole arrangement, trying to run these businesses, have a kid home part-time, Maya was in school, no problem there, <laughs> but it was obvious. My body was telling me mm-hmm. that this was all too much. And mm-hmm. um, so that's when we decided to put Leah into daycare. And she started on February 1st, 2020. <laughs> she was there for five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then the daycare closed <laughs> for the next three, four months. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, if I was to have this conversation with you in a non-COVID year, it would be yeah. very different. <laughs> yeah. This year has been the world's most spectacular juggling act mm. um, where we had, you know, sometimes we had childcare, sometimes we didn't. If the kid was home quarantining, we didn't. If we, you know, it's just been total madness. Yeah. And so it's hard to have this conversation about what would my life be like in a normal mm-hmm. year because we yeah. had just just made this decision to put her in daycare. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, you know, Paul's business is still the one that's mostly floating us right now, but I mm-hmm. work for his business. You know, I guess mm-hmm. our business, it's not his, yeah. it's ours. Yeah. 
And so, you know, he's really remarkable at shouldering the load now that if we have a day where Leia's home, that's our second, Leia's home with us, mm-hmm. we will split it because now my job within his business is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm essentially in charge of sales and marketing and administration and invoicing and um, new product development. So he gives me that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, the work-life harmony is definitely created in partnership because we work together. Mm-hmm. That we sit down every Monday, right before this, we were having our meeting. <laughs> we sit down every Monday. We talk through work items that we need to talk about. We look at the calendar. We plan, you know, when is he going to have his day out to go shoot or go, you know, up a mountain, whatever he wants to do. When yeah. am I going to have my time? And when are we going to have our time together? Yeah. Because you're doing a lot of shoots together. Um, it it yeah. seems like you're doing a lot uh, a lot more. Or those are the ones that I'm just, I'm seeing more often in my feed. Um, right. So that's, that's nice to, to see that you're getting out together and that you're not having to go up mountains separately. Yeah, exactly. And so I think part of it is when people look at something on social, you've probably heard this a million times, but, you know, what we're seeing on social media is not, the complete truth Mm -hmm. and people could look at our lives and somehow think that we've got it all figured out. We live this like glamorized mountain life, travel, you know, whatever experience. Mm -hmm. And what they don't see is all of the daily work and struggle that goes on Mm -hmm. to even make those experiences happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So So you plan once a week. I love that. Um, and then you divide time when you have um, a kid at home. Um, and then uh, how are you taking care of yourself? So how are you scheduling in, um, you know, healthy habits and a lot? Yeah, again, I'm a really slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm very forgetful. Yeah. I will get on like a really good role with the things that I like to do um, in terms of, you know, staying well hydrated, eating healthy foods I love. I eat a gluten and dairy-free diet. So I actually feel very grateful for that because it makes me already very aware of what I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, as a result of having um, some like gut skin issues that I came to the decision with my naturopath to cut out those things from my diet. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I like to put healthy foods in my body. I, you know, get out for daily movement, even if it's just a walk. Um, you know, even as someone who loves the mountains, I've learned, I think it was just even when I had babies and strollers, you know, I just really mm-hmm. learned to love walking. Mm-hmm. It feels so nice. As a writer, it's where I get a lot of creative work done in my head. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just really appreciate just that really simple form of movement. Um, and, um, but I, I, these things very quickly slide when something goes wrong. And, um, and, you know, when suddenly we have a wrench that's thrown our way, usually my self care is the first thing to go. And mm-hmm. this is what I'm working on mm-hmm. because it should really be the first thing I try to keep in check mm-hmm. because I know that. I'm only able to take good care of my family when I take good care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was um, was posting two different things on my Instagram the other week, um, and it's the evolution of uh, the statement and the definition um, where it's, you know, an alpha female puts herself first. Uh, and it used to be an alpha female puts herself first so that she can take care of others. And, you know, before kids, I was like, Okay, yeah, that like that makes sense. Even if you're taking care of like the people around you, friends and family. But then someone was like, "No, she needs to take care of herself like period. No matter what. It's a byproduct of her taking care of herself that her energy is then amplified, her self-care is that so that she has the health and energy to be able to take care of others, but you need to stop making it about other people." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, like good point. But like try to tell a mom that." Um because it's very much like no, I need to take care of myself first, but I've got humans that I've got to keep alive on a daily basis. So um, it you can't just discount that. So as I became a mom, it was like, no, I need to take care of myself first 
so that I can take care of others. And it, it came back. So I, I get the two sides of the coin, but I get the evolution of it. Um, but yeah, I hear you. Like even, you know, my self-care, like I don't think I have an, I've had an Epsom salt bath in a week. And like, that's my way of de-stressing at the end of the day. So I'm going to bed stressed. I'm like, okay, Robin, like, you know, stop watching uh, a show, like take time. You don't need to watch a Netflix show. You can just go and have a bath and then go to bed. So it's like little things like that. that is, you know, it's constantly a, a, a give and take and the, perf- the perfect daily routine is, is never going to be there. You have to have these checks and balances kind of popping out. Well, and um, I think that we're, oh, sorry, I just wanted to add, Robin, like, yeah. I think that we're dealing with a lot of cultural assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I read an article, I can't remember which magazine it was on, but it was looking at how people parent in other parts of the world and how in North America, we just, you know, we're over parenting and, and over time we've, you know, become so involved in our children's lives to the degree where, you know, if you're not, you're, you know, if you fear being judged for it, if you're, Mm if you're not the parent at the soccer game, if you're not these things. Mm. And um, I think part of us finding freedom is in challenging these cultural assumptions and living our lives in such a way that actually rings true with ourselves, even if that brings some criticism from others. Mm. And part of it is for me, I'm very aware I've got these two little girls and I just want to model for them what I value really and mm. instead of instead of ignoring what I value and living in such a way that you know makes sense to my culture I want to really be true to what it means to be a whole person mm. and that means yes I live out my passions and I go to work and sometimes that means leaving my kids and going into the back country, or eventually I'd like to travel again without my kids. But <laughs> I also love traveling with my kids. But, you know, I get to model what it means to be a passionate working mother. Mm. Um, but also, I grew up in a household with like a super mom. And mm. I, to this day, do not know how she did it. But I do know that it was through a lot of self-sacrifice at the at the expense of her own probably joy and happiness sometimes not that she wasn't happy to be doing all those things for us but it's like I wonder do our mothers even know how much they gave up in order to be there for us to the extent that they were Mm -hmm. um, we were um, we're staying with my parents in April when we moved back we didn't yet have our house back and um, my mom was doing a fine arts degree in university and uh, she was also doing like weaving and so she's got all these pieces around the house and my husband actually started showing a ton of interest and asked her like some questions and she's like oh I have some of my old work downstairs in the basement and I have never seen it so she pulled it all out for him and she's like doing a show and tell for Mike and I was like why have I never seen this and it's like watercolors there's acrylic paints there's sketching and I'm like mom what like I knew she had done fine arts but like I didn't realize the degree of her talent and so for Mother's Day this year we bought her a sketch pad and pencils and acrylic paint so because I know she gave that up and she keeps saying like oh no no like it's, it's fine I'm like but mom you were really good at this and you were doing it, it like this is definitely a passion and so I'm trying to like bring that back for her because she, like, she, yeah, I'm just realizing how much she gave up to be a stay at home mom for us. Mm. Um, yeah. And I know your mom cause she was my music teacher. <laughs> so well, my I, mom, yeah. My mom, uh, she was a stay at home until I was six. I was the youngest till I started yeah. school. Even then she taught music in the evenings. Mm. So she was with us all day, teaches music in the evenings and then she started work full time at the high school we went to when I was yeah. six. And so, you know, she probably gave up 10 years of her life essentially to, you know, raising the three of us until we started school. Yeah. Um, but then she was like a full on working mama while she was, you know, taking care of us. I remember her putting meals in the oven at 
6.30 in the morning on time bake. Oh, wow. So that's that like we would get home to a warm like, meal. And I did that's not... The cro- that's like that crock pot life. <laughs> no. Like, I did not realize this as a child, that yeah. my mom is literally working magic. Yeah. And so I think with my girls, I just... It's not that I want them to see me as a superhero, but it's like I want to mm. expose the magic a little bit. I want to show them, you know, this is what we're doing. But yeah. also be challenging these cultural assumptions. And Paul and I are, you know, it's so incredible to have a partner who's on the same page where mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of gender roles in our house. Um, there are tasks that we each individually do because it's something that we may be better at or like, I love cooking. So sure, mm-hmm. I'll cook. Um, and, but we're in a, a situation where we're demonstrating this for for our kids, but do they even know that that's what's happening? Mm. And yeah. um, I had I had a conversation recently with a a woman who it was a single mom growing up, and and then she ended up with um with another guy. So she had she had kids with with various fathers, but she was the working person in the household, and he stayed home with the kids. And one day, you know, her daughter came to her and told her just like, full of resentment, I think, you know, maybe one day it'll be the daddies who work. <laughs> so again, do I, do the people around us, do our children see what's happening? Is there a way that we can live our lives in such a way that we can help them understand mm-hmm. that these are the assumptions in place, but we're doing it this way instead mm-hmm. of assuming that they actually pick up on those things? Yeah. Yeah. In um one of my podcast episodes I recorded um my birth story and birth story medicine with a, a woman from Ottawa and um because I experienced quite a lot of not birth trauma but post birth complications. Um I've been working with a therapist and one of the things that we've really identified is that um because I lost control of everything in the hospital I've been trying to control everything, especially the especially the first first three four months um, as I'm healing and figuring out how to be a mom, figuring out how to take care of two children at once. Um, I needed like perfection in the house. I needed like the laundry done right away. I needed the counters always wiped. Like it was just like I was clinging to some sort of control. And um, I remember after I recorded the episode with Julia around. Um, my birth story medicine was, you know, Mike is an absolutely amazing partner too and very present. Um, but I was still trying to do the majority of the stuff around the house. And so, you know, I identified that I just need to literally, and I'm doing it, I, I actually am showing Megan on Skype that I literally just wrote it down again now that we're back in our new home because we've let it slide. And I'm like, I need to get all of the household chores down on paper and we need to identify who's doing what because I'm going back to work next week full time. And now all the the mom guilt is, I don't like that terminology, all of the guilt, like all of the guilt is starting because we've hired um, a full-time nanny and we've been, uh, we've she's been with us for a month and um, it's so hard to, I had anxiety leaving my children with her for the first, the first day was absolutely atrocious. I think I had like three panic attacks. And, you know, now as I work full time, thank goodness I have a job where I can work from home and I can, you know, visit them whenever I want. Although it's very, very hard because every time I go into a room and then leave it, they just cry bloody murder. Like, why are you leaving mom? And then the guilt starts all over again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, how do we, like, I want to model for my children that I am absolutely filled up working. I absolutely love working. I love what I do. I love it. And I love also being able to provide for the family. And, um, you know, we never questioned fathers being outside of the home for long amounts of time. We never questioned fathers going to work and, you know, like, it's just these roles have to evolve and um, they have to transition and we have to communicate that I think early with our children so that they they don't have these moments where they're like well why can't you spend more time with us Um, instead of just absolutely like I want my time with my children to be ones where I am so present 
and that they don't question that time together. So yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. I think I'm rambling, but um, yeah, I think it, it, it's a, it's a struggle and just a conversation that we, we need to be having more of it and we need to be having it publicly um, so that people aren't struggling privately in their, in their households to figure it out, that they're able to pull um, nuggets of wisdom from other people like, oh, they're doing that. Let me try that out at home and see how that works. I was um, following you. <laughs> Sometimes I go on these, uh, these ram- rambles. Um, I pulled out something that you were saying about um, your health. So you came back from your trip and your skin broke up, but you were already figuring out how to take care of yourself differently. Did you have a moment earlier in life where you're like, something's not working. I need to do something differently. For sure. I mean, I, I know you can relate to this. Um, you know, I've got, I've got eczema and, um, it's not just like itchy skin. It's like, this is a full blown condition and it's, it's like a barometer for how well I'm taking care of myself, how well my skin Mm -hmm. is doing. And it's fairly reactive. Like it's, you know, it's a a lot of it is just, uh, bring is sorry, caused by stress. Um, compounded with bad eating, compounded with a dry environment, compounded with these things that I think I can get away with uh, because I don't want to be an inconvenience to people around me. Mm. And so I have had to learn over the course of the last, you know, maybe maybe since Maya was born, really, mm. how to manage this condition, which I've had since I was a kid, but it got worse after my pregnancy. I don't know why. Mm. And so... I had a few moments early on where there wasn't like a clear aha, but it was like a nudge in the right direction when I first started seeing a naturopathic doctor because I could not get my skin to heal. Um, There was a winter, I think it was around 2016, maybe 17. So it was before I had Leia, but um, Paul was in Antarctica for six weeks. And, um, you say that so like flippantly, like, oh, he was just in Antarctica for six weeks. (laughs) I know it sounds so funny, but because of these workshops, you know, he he spends time in Mongolia and Greenland and Iceland and Bhutan and all these cool places. Yeah. And so when the, when the schedule is very full and this for a while was how we were making a good portion of our income. Um, you know, when he had the chance to go to Antarctica, you know, you don't say no. So he was there for six weeks with very, he didn't even have the ability to really communicate with me beyond an email program where you couldn't really add photos or videos or anything. It was just like purely writing and he didn't have any time while he was on the ship. And my skin was just really bad that winter. Like my eyes were all um, red and scaly and it's so embarrassing Mm. when you're, you know, out in public and you cannot hide the fact that you've got this condition when it's mm-hmm. on your arm or your back or somewhere, mm-hmm. nobody cares. But as soon as it's on your face, it becomes mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And so it started flaring up in the fall. I couldn't get it under control. And by that winter while he was away, I was like, I am at a loss. I don't know what to do. I can't get this under control. I'm not sleeping. I would wake up with blood on my sheets from my back. Like I, mm-hmm. It was really bad. And so, you know, it, the light bulb didn't really go off then. I went to see a naturopathic doctor who did my, you know, did my blood type, did some other questions and, well, like 4,000 questions. <laughs> and, and she said, I think you really need to cut out dairy. And she also recommended I do a, a food sensitivity test. And so, yes, we started nipping the diet in the butt, like, you know, cut out the dairy, cut out the gluten. Um, but it was only later that I really started to recognize that my skin was an indicator of how stressed I was mm. and how well I was taking care of myself. And so, um, so then of course things slid, you know, that you go, we go to Ireland and Malta, mm. you know, jet lagged, you know, super dry conditions over there, super dry on the plane, get home, not taking care of myself well enough. I'm up at 3am with a jet lag toddler for five days in a row and, um, you know, meanwhile, we're packing lunches, getting Maya off to school. Now the, now we're back to the business now that we got to run the business. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to lose sight of these things that we put in place and these mechanisms we put into place. But that was the big aha moment 
was my body is telling me something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sending me a really clear signal. And after that, actually, I've not had a flare up um, since. I've, I've uh, mm-hmm. really learned how to manage things. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I don't have other issues or that, you know, I don't get, don't get sick or don't feel stressed or anything, but my skin is better. And that tells me I'm doing something right. Um, so what are your um, daily habits for reducing your stress if it's built up? I don't know if you've heard of the book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Okay. But um, after I read it, I realized how much I was already doing some of the things they recommended, but um, then I learned more. And so their whole idea is that um, in order to not burn out, we need to complete our stress cycles. That stress is a, you know, evolutionary it's a good thing it's it's you know what teaches us to to run from the run from the the lion or you know play dead or you know they say there's a fight or flight or freeze they they added the freeze some people just hmm. absolutely freeze in the face of stress they become kind of paralyzed yeah um but said in order to stop these chemicals from building up in our body and um in order to not feel like we're always in one of these three modes we need to complete these stress cycles, and that's through things like movement, laughing, creativity, and they list about seven different ways that people can do this. Mm. But essentially, if you're working on a big project, I just you know I just finished the draft of my, a second draft of my memoir. It's a big project. I have to consciously let that stress go, not just think it'll go away on its own, mm. and. And so it's okay that sometimes the stress builds up in our bodies a little bit, but we have to find ways to let it back out again mm. and be very conscious about that. So that's, that's been huge for me is just recognizing, wow, I just had a massive energy and emotional output. I've got to let this out somehow. And that might be a big day in the mountains, you know, a bike ride, but for the intention of letting the stress go, not mm. just, I'm going to hop on my bike and go and then I'll feel better. It's like I am getting on my bike and I'm going to let this movement work that, that stress through my body. Mm. And, and it works. For me, movement is key. Mm. I, love, movement. Um, I love this conversation because, um, so again, the therapist that uh, I was working with about postpartum um, healing she was saying that um, based on the amount of trauma that I endured in the hospital, she's like, you haven't completed the loop. So you're stuck in this cycle and you're not completing the fight or flight mechanism. And um, it was little things that she gave me tips on. And I actually started doing it because I had, I had meetings that were starting to stress me out as I thought about returning to work at the job that I no longer have. Long, yeah. My, uh, my, audience knows the whole story, but I was preparing for a meeting and I was so stressed about it. And she's like, you're just, you're still in fight or flight. Like you can't get out of that. And she said in the meeting or whenever you're in a situation where you're finding yourself to, you know, um, get a little antsy again, she had said to start like moving your toes, like curl them down and then curl them up. And like that movement would signal to your body that like, it's also a mindfulness technique. And so that was fascinating. But I love the fact that you're doing movement to complete the cycle because I think this is why like people, um, you know, just, you know, love, love their workouts and things have popped up. Like something that's in my head is the fact that like you can go to, I don't even know what they're called, but like you can go and like hit things with baseball bats I don't even, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, no, I don't know if they're like rage, rage places, but like you get a full <laughs> suit. They give you like a, a, a baseball bat or like a, a hammer and you just attack things. Like that to me is like, of course you're going to get it out of your body that way. Um, yeah. So I'm so glad that that's a part of your, your routine to be able to move through that. Cause yeah, like we can fix our, we can fix our nutrition. We can take supplements. Um, but I've always been such a huge proponent of talking about the six pillars of health. And I don't think stress management or how we react to stress, um, or how we, 
it's not just reacting because we all have different reactions to stress, but it's what do we do after we've had that reaction and how do we, how do we process stress um, so that it doesn't get stuck in our body? Because I truly believe that that is probably one of the root causes of, of so many reasons why there's uh, like an epidemic of health and autoimmune issues in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get myself on a soapbox again. Um, but yeah. Okay. So uh, I have a few more questions that I want to get to, but um, let's kind of revisit one thing. So you had said that you had like toned down on the, the life endangering activities because you now have children. Um, do you still, do you miss them? Like, do you miss being on the top of a mountain on a rope, perilously hanging from it? I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Of course, yeah. like there's, um, you know, those are some, no pun intended, high points in my life mm-hmm. was was reaching some of those summits under such physical effort with, you know, some element of risk and exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I didn't like feeling scared anymore. Um, the mountains became about enjoyment for me mm-hmm. and they needed to become because of the daily stress in my life and this juggling act and the lack of balance, I needed that my outlet to be enjoyable, not stressful. <laughs> that would look different for someone else. Some people would actually be drawn to the risk mm-hmm. um, because they're looking for some kind of an escape from their, their everyday. Um, yeah. But I, I don't, I don't really miss it. I think a lot of it was wrapped up in that identity of this is what it means to be a mountain person. And, you know, when I let go of that and I just decided, you know, I'm still pretty cool, even if I'm not doing those things, <laughs> um, I'm okay, you know? Yeah. And, uh, again, going back to just not caring what people think and maybe, yeah. maybe one day I will go do those things. And by definition, I have done some of those things as a mother, you know, because I'm in the mountain community, what I'm doing looks pretty tame, but to other people outside of the mountain community, it would probably look pretty pretty crazy yeah so I have done some of it yeah okay so this is a two-part question the first one is what are you most passionate about as a mom I think just showing that life is meant to be lived to the fullest yeah Mm -hmm. and then what are you most passionate about in your work and you have your hands in my work work buckets (laughs) yeah I do but a lot of my work comes down to storytelling mm. in a lot of different ways. And mm. I think I'm passionate about making sense of my world and using storytelling to repackage the wisdom that I've learned in yeah. such a way that other people can understand it and then explore it for themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. What piece of advice would you give a 20-something alpha female that doesn't even realize she's an alpha? I even read this question in advance and it kind of like <laughs> stalled me. <laughs> I think we keep talking about this word evolve throughout this conversation. And I think it's to recognize that life will continue to evolve. We will continue to evolve as people. And sometimes we need to be the one that lets go of trying to be the thing we were before. And that goes with motherhood too, right? Like we cannot be the person we were before. That person no longer exists. Yeah. And so just to not get too fixated on any one stage of life. Yeah. I wish I had like that, I had heard that way more and maybe I did and it just didn't land. And maybe I am just, um, you know, around so many people that it looked like they became moms and then just went right back to what they were doing before. But I wish someone had really like held me down and like forced me to pause for a second and said, you know, you have to say goodbye to the, this Robin there's a new there's a new robin like don't you don't have to be worried you're not going to like you have to say goodbye to this person um 
And I, w- I wish someone had like, yeah, held me down and really like let that sink in. Um, or maybe I just wasn't ready to hear it. Um, yeah. What, um, what is a current pain point that you're problem solving for? And this could be anything from living in a pandemic world to juggling a million and one businesses to parenting children. Hmm. Yeah, there's a few of them. (laughs) Um, Physically, I've got some work to do on some chronic pain that's developed as a result of the pandemic and not moving as much as I like, being Mm. idle for too long, sitting in weird positions, not having a comfortable office because I moved things home. I used to have an office downtown. Um, And now I've got like a proper chair, but I'm just like working on my setup. (laughs) Um, so I've, I've got some physio and work to do on my body that I need to commit some time to, and I'm terrible at it. Um, I'm smiling because I'm supposed to do my pelvic floor physio exercises every single day. And it's so boring. So like I could easily do it before bed, but I'm just, it's just just so boring. (laughs) It is boring. Like, yeah, but maybe I'll find a way to do it. Like take take the yoga mat onto out onto my back patio, and I get to look over at the mountains and woods, and you know, yeah. get some music going and work on my psoas muscle. <laughs> oh. um, that's that's one. Um, I'm still working on asking for what I need, and mm-hmm. this is a big one that this entire conversation hinges on. Is you know, as much as Paul and I are a really good partnership, like he cannot read my mind. You know, we've been together for for fifteen years or something. Sixteen. Yeah, um, but we we expect them to. He can't read my mind, yeah. and I became too sensitive to his reactions. And so I oh. would, you know, maybe ask for what I needed, and I would pick up on something in his response as if I was inconveniencing him, and. Um, that would prevent me from asking for what I needed again. And so I've been working with my counselor on how to ask for what I need and just stating it and taking the time. You know, just take it, no guilt, don't read into it. But I did have to have the odd conversation saying, you know, when you when you don't react with enthusiasm, it makes me think that I'm somehow putting you out or mm. inconveniencing you. And so this has been my big work this year and this has been a big pain point is whether it's with my husband or my family or my extended family, just um, asking for what I need and, and just standing confidently in that rather than shrinking the moment I say it. And so um, there are days that I have to say on a weekend, you know, I need to go for a walk today. So what would be a good time? Or I would just like to go take a shower. (laughs) Um, You know, and sometimes I will say, is it okay if, you know, if like, can you watch the kids? And I'm going to go disappear for a shower, which is usually half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other thing. Um, and then the third pain point is um, looking at our schedule next year because uh, all of our international photo workshops were postponed and stacked um, into basically about a, a year, year and a half span of time. So Paul is out of the country potentially this fall, if the travel can resume, um, all of March, oh, sorry, February, all of March, May, June, like I'm facing a considerable amount of solo parenting time next year. Mm. And so I need to do the work now to put mechanisms into place to get me through that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have the ability to potentially plan that far in advance. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who, who plans in a pandemic anymore? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I know, I know, and sometimes some people find it vulnerable sharing like so many details of their life and other people are like, yeah, fine. <laughs> so either way, thank you. Um, let's finish with my favorite question of the podcast, but will you please share with the listeners, what is your definition of happiness? My definition of happiness is essentially not being aware of whether or not I'm happy. I just am. Yeah. So it's like when we can let go of the struggle 
of, you know, am I happy? Am I not? Am I joyful? Am I sad? How am I feeling? And I just am happy. It's so liberating. (laughs) So for me, it's the sense of ease when I'm not thinking about whether or not I'm happy. I just am. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Robin. Have you downloaded the Work-Life Harmony Worksheet yet? In this free guide, I walk you through how to optimize five key areas of your life so that you can start designing your own work-life harmony. So from nutrition to supplements, sleep, stress management, and reducing your toxic load, I share tips and tricks that get you thinking on how you can optimize your life currently. So I ask you simple questions that just get you to rethink different aspects of your life. I walk you through a prioritization exercise so you can figure out which area of your life you actually want to maybe overhaul or tackle or just make small changes in first. So you can download that over at bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet, all one word, bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet. Thank you for listening to the Alpha Female Podcast. Be sure and visit robinbaldwin.com, that's Robin with a Y, B-A-L-D-W-I-N, for access to show notes and other amazing blogs. If you loved this episode of the Alpha Female Podcast, be sure to head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more amazing Alpha Females are able to find this content. It's so very much appreciated that you take this small effort to help this show succeed. 